0: Our text for today is from Revelation chapter 3, starting with verse 14. I'm not going to be showing those verses on the screen. Everything we have is right here. So I do strongly encourage you and ask you, if there is a Bible near you, to take uh, the Bible, open up God's Word, your Bible from home, a Bible app on your phone. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, is our church Bibles, is found on page 1030 page 1030, as we come now to the conclusion of our series, Jesus Speaks. Seven letters written and sent by Jesus to seven churches of the day about 96 A.D. This is 60 years after his resurrection that Jesus is writing and sending these letters through the apostle John. And we've been saying all along that though these are letters that were written to these seven churches of 96 A.D., and yet they are letters Jesus has sent to us today. They was for them, but it's the words of Christ for us, for you here today. And we here at Our Father are studying and slowing down and paying attention to these letters of Christ because over the past year and a half, A global pandemic there's a lot of churches that are not doing very well there's some churches that because of COVID-19 will have to close their doors and we here at our father other hand have been richly and wonderfully and tremendously blessed over 170 new members in this time We are healthy, and we are strong, and that shouldn't make us pat ourselves on the back, but it should humble us and ask, why, God, are we blessed? God, what would you have us as a family, what would you have us do? How should we respond? Where are you leading us? And before we get out our dry erase markers and our dry erase boards and our brainstorming sessions and we come up with all of our great and wonderful ideas. What I wanted to do for these seven weeks was collectively together as a family and if you're a guest here, you're part of our family here today. I wanted us together to listen as Jesus himself speaks to us today. And what has he been saying to us in these letters, the letters to the church in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and today the seventh letter, Laodicea. He has been calling us. Have you heard what he has been saying? He has been calling us collectively and as individuals to a revival spiritual revival, a spiritual renewal, to continue to strive to a, have a passionate relationship with him, Jesus, and to continue to strive in our relationships with one another, to love one another as our dear brothers and sisters, and then to join one another shoulder to shoulder as we walk out of this room and into our neighborhoods and communities, and to love and to serve our neighbors, and to stand firm and committed in what we believe as Christians in this ever world in this culture, and yet to love this city in the name of Jesus Christ. And in order for us to do that together, or for you as an individual, here in this very last letter to the church in Laodicea, Jesus is speaking to us and he's sharing with us two vital things. The church in Laodicea, perhaps more than any of the churches that we have studied so far, is the most similar to the Christian church in the 21st century in America. Laodicea, and the church in Laodicea, was a very wealthy city. It was a very wealthy church. It was an affluent church, relatively free from persecution, unlike the other churches we have seen. And They had really, really nice lives in Laodicea. The two things that Jesus is speaking to them and to us today, first of all, and there's no way around it, he is speaking here some very harsh and perhaps we could say terrible words of condemnation. But then secondly, Jesus here is speaking in this letter some of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful words of invitation. There's condemnation here, to be sure. And there is the most beautiful invitation that Jesus is extending to you, Christian, non-Christian, believer, unbeliever, wherever you happen to be, an invitation to you today. So let's dig in to God's word, and we begin with verse 14, if you're following along Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's Creation And here Jesus with this opening verse before he gets to these two words of condemnation and of invitation, Jesus is showing us and revealing to us his identity, who he is, and he's giving us his credentials, why we should listen to him and do what he says. You know, if you weren't feeling well, maybe you're having chest pains, tightness in the chest, you go to the doctor, and you go to the doctor's office, the cardiologist's office, and you walk in, and the doctor isn't there and the nurses and the staff isn't there. The only person who's there is a member of the janitorial staff and they're mopping the floor. He's mopping the floor. He's taking out the trash. He says, oh, I'm sorry. I'll I'll just call back and make another report and the janitor says, "You, no, 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 come on in. I mean, I've been working here for 10 years. I think I've picked up a thing or two. And so he sits down, and it's the janitor who does your examination. And the janitor says, yes, this is very serious, but if you follow my orders and do what I say, you're going to get all better. Would you listen to him? No. But if you go to the Mayo Clinic, and you get the leading cardiologist, the heart specialist in the world with 30 years of experience, and thousands of people who have had their lives saved by him, and he says, yes, this is serious, But follow my commands, my orders, and do what I say, and you're going to be okay. Would you believe him? Yes, you would. He has authority, and he has credentials, and this is what Jesus is laying out before us, that we should listen to him. Look at what it says. The words of the Amen. The Amen. The word Amen in Hebrew means truth or true. Jesus would start off his teachings oftentimes by saying, amen, amen, I say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you. King James Version, verily, verily, I say unto thee. It's a word which means true or truth. Jesus is saying, I am the, amen. I am the truth. I am the source and the very foundation for all all of truth. And he says, at the last part of the sentence, he says, I am the beginning of God's creation. I'm the beginning of God's creation. The word beginning here in the Greek is the word arche, translated as beginning. Arche, we see that in words like archeology span or an archetype. Jesus here is saying, I am the archetype of God's creation. I wasn't just there in the beginning. I am the beginning of all creation. I am the archae. I am the source of all creation. I am the source of life itself. I am the source, the foundation of truth, and I am the source of life itself. Now, 10 miles east of Laodicea, There was a city named Colossae. And St. Paul, many years before Jesus sent these letters in Revelation, he wrote a letter to the Christians in Colossae. And at the very end of that letter to the Christians in Colossae, he says, oh, by the way, send this letter also to the Christians in Laodicea. We call this book the book of Colossians in the New Testament. And here St. Paul is also emphasizing the credentials of Christ and who he is when he says this. Chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God In other words, what Paul is saying, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I am not the janitor. I'm not the janitor who's here just to kind of clean up the messes after you make them, you call on me. I'm not just your errand boy. And by the way, I'm also not just one of many great and wonderful religious leaders, a guru or a wise man or a prophet of old. No, I am something so much more. I am the source of all truth, the foundation and source of life itself. I am ultimate reality. And I, and in me, all things in existence hold together listen to me I have the authority and I have my words have the power to change your life listen and then he gives us his message again a word of condemnation Do you remember for those of you who are here? Seven weeks ago, we began this series, and I began saying, "I don't want to preach these texts." Do you remember that? Some of you said, "I don't want to preach that." I went back and forth. I don't want. And some of you came up to your pastor. Well, that, I don't understand why you had such difficulty and why you didn't want to preach. This is the reason why, right here. What Jesus is saying to them, and He's saying to us, to you, verse 15. If you're following along, Jesus says, "I know your works." You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now what is Jesus saying here, the one that we should listen to? He is saying, I will spit you out of my mouth if you are lukewarm, you're not cold or hot. What is this cold and hot and lukewarm? Well this is an illustration that Jesus is making to describe their and perhaps our or your spiritual condition and his reaction to it. It's an illustration they would have very well understood at the time. Cold, hot, lukewarm. As I said, 10 miles east of Laodicea was the city Colossae. Colossae had a river running through it called the Lycus River, and actually it ran underground for several miles, and then the Lycus River came out uh, from uh, Colossae through a cave, and you can see that there on the screens is a picture of the Lycus River there at Colossae, and the water that came out of that subterranean river and what Colossae, one of the things they were known for, was that their water there was so cold and refreshing. You would go to the Lycus River there in Colossae and drink from that cold and refreshing water. Cold there in Colossae. There is also a city that is 10 miles north of Laodicea, named Heropolis. And Heropolis wasn't known for their cold water, they were known for their hot water. They had hot springs there in Heropolis, and that's an actual picture of this hot springs that still exist to this day. And people would come from all over, miles around, to be there in the baths, in Heropolis, in the Roman baths, and these natural hot springs, and that just wonderful water, and the rich minerals. People would drink of it, believed to have medicinal properties. So they were known for the hot water. The water was so sought after, the Romans, who were wonderful engineers, built an aqueduct, pipelines from Heropolis all the way to Laodicea. And we actually have a picture of an actual aqueduct, a pipe uh, that's right there in ancient Laodicea. But all that wonderful, hot, steamy water from Heropolis as it traveled the 10 miles through the aqueduct and the pipe by the time it found its way to Laodicea It was no longer hot and steamy water. Rather, it was what? It was lukewarm. And those of you who are coffee drinkers, I am not a coffee drinker because coffee is horrible. I am not a coffee drinker. But those of you who are like my wife, and you know what it's like when you take that little cup, you expecting that sip of nice hot coffee, but you grab the cup that had been sitting out overnight, and, oh, it's disgusting. You want to spit it out of your mouth. And Jesus is saying, you in Laodicea, and perhaps you here in Centennial today, when I look at your faith and your response to me, it's like, in the Laodiceans, you know how gross your water is. You want to spit it out of your mouth. And not only was the water tepid or lukewarm, but it could, in Laodicea, become stagnant. Stagnant water, which develops bacteria, which could cause illness and nausea. Which is why Jesus, when he says, you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The Greek word here for spit is a much stronger word. It is the Greek word for vomit. So what is Jesus saying? This isn't the Jesus we learned about in Sunday school today. Jesus, what he is doing, when he sees their condition, this lukewarmness, and when he sees our lukewarmness, he is opening up his heart. He is actually in this letter revealing something of the inner mind, the inner heart of God himself. We're peering into the inner life, the emotional life of God, into Christ. And he is saying that when he looks at their condition and their response to him, He is so disturbed by what he sees. He is so distressed by what he sees. There is a visceral gut reaction that the one who holds the universe together has. He's not a static Greek philosophical concept of a God. No, he is a personal God, the source of all knowledge, truth, and life itself. And when he sees their lukewarmness, He is nauseous to the pit of his stomach, not out of anger or rage, but because of his deep, passionate love for them, for us, for you. What is it that is distressing him so much? What is this spiritual condition of being lukewarm? Verse 17. Jesus says, "'For you say, "'I am rich.'" I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched and pitiable, and poor and blind and naked, spiritually speaking. Oh, you're rich, and I've prospered. I'm doing okay. My life is good. There's not anything that I need. And in this way, as I said, the church in Laodicea much more reflects the church in Centennial and indeed the, at least the Western church of the 21st century than any of the other churches. You know, we live in an age, even some of the poorest among us, we live in an age of subgreat great wealth and affluence and of comfort compared to the rest of the history of the world. We have air conditioner in the summer and heat in the winter. We have relatively comfortable homes and beds to sleep in. We have food on the table. We have entertainment. We have downtime. We have televisions. We have vacations. We have readily accessible healthcare, readily accessible education. We live in the 21st century in the West extraordinarily more comfortable lives than at any other point in the entire history of humanity. And with that great comfort and the relative affluence and wealth that we have, there is a great danger. Wealth and affluence is not bad in and of itself, but what is happening here in Laodicea and perhaps what can happen to us is that that affluence and wealth and comfort can lead to what? Spiritual apathy complacency I'm doing okay there's nothing that I need and Jesus is saying you don't realize how every second and moment of your life I am providing and helping and sustaining and you do not understand And he says how spiritually speaking you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked you see can you say that of yourself How do I know that I'm one of these lukewarm people or maybe sometimes apathetic? Well, look, a good diagnostic tool, we've done it before, I'll do it today right now, a good diagnostic tool is, what is the content of your prayers? What are you praying for? By the way, are you praying? I'm speaking to students, I'm speaking to children, I'm speaking to teenagers, I'm speaking to people here of all ages. Are you praying in and of your own? Do you pray? And if you pray, what are you praying for? Jesus says to pray for your daily bread. That's a good thing. We pray for the things that we need in our life. We pray for our health. We pray for the health of loved ones. We've all got a list. My back's been giving me more trouble again. Add me to your list, please. We've all got a list of the things we need or our loved ones need. But are you praying not only for your daily bread? Are you praying for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven and for his will to be done in and through your life? Are you praying that you might know Jesus more? Are you praying that you might become more of a sacrificial and giving person? That you might go and love and serve your neighbor? Are you looking forward to the second coming of Jesus i mean i mean just all every single day this week you woke up and said today might be the day look i do want jesus to come back but not i do i want him to come back now we're put we're demoing our kitchen we're getting a new kitchen at the Abel house (laughs) air high five i'm gonna enjoy i don't want jesus to come back now i want to enjoy that kitchen we perhaps greater than any other time in the history of the church the threat of becoming apathetic and complacent spiritually is very very great and notice what is it that causes the strictest, sternest rebuke of Jesus, the most terrible condemnation? It isn't just because someone sins. It isn't because someone breaks one of the commandments. It isn't even when someone preaches heresy. What disturbs our Lord and Savior, the one who holds the universe together in the palm of his hand, is when we don't realize how desperately we need him. Do you see that you need him? Do you want him? Do you? So I don't know. He's spitting people out of his mouth. What kind of Jesus is this? I don't know if I like this. Well, look, for sake of time, let's skip down to verse 19. Again, if you're following along, verse 19. Look at what Jesus says to you. He says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Turn back to me. It's those whom I love. Jesus speaking these words of condemnation, of rebuke, these harsh words of Jesus. It isn't because of uh, out of anger. He's not just being a jerk. The opposite of love isn't anger. The opposite of love is what? It's apathy. And Jesus here is saying, though you so often might be apathetic about me, I am never apathetic about you. And I will do what has to be done, and I will say what has to be said because I love you and I want you to be with me. Remember who Jesus is. Go back up to verse 14 when Jesus gives us his credentials and his identity. Verse 14, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness the beginning of God's creation. Again, he's the source and foundation of all of truth and all of life, holds the universe together. But what does it say there in the very middle? The faithful and true witness. Now the word witness here in the Greek is the word Martas. Martus, the Greek word for witness, it's where we get the word martyr. That the early Christians were such great witnesses to the truth of the empty tomb and the resurrected Christ, they were willing to give their life. And so the word witness became associated with those who give their life and they became martyrs. And what Jesus here is saying that he is the faithful and the true, the ultimate martyr. Martyr. Someone is a martyr because they give their life for what they believe in. They give their life for what they're passionate for. They give their life for a worthy cause. Jesus is saying, I give my life for you because you are that worthy cause. I give my life for you because I am passionate about you and I want you to be with me all of this which leads us finally to verse 20. We've heard the words of condemnation, now here's the invitation as we wrap up here. Words of invitation to you when Jesus says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus, again, wanting to be with you. God himself wanting to be with you despite it all. He wants to be with you. This imagery of sitting at the table, we saw that in the gospel reading with Matthew and the tax collectors and the quote-unquote sinners and Jesus is sitting at the table. Deep fellowship is what he wants with you. And he says here, that he's standing at the door of your very heart and he's knocking and he's calling you and he's calling your name and if only you will open up your heart and open up your life and let him in. Some of you here today, Jesus has been knocking and knocking and calling for a long, long time. And there's all sorts of reasons maybe why you've never let them in. Maybe it's, you know, there's some intellectual things you can't get over, or maybe it's because Jesus has let you down in some way. Or maybe it's because when you were growing up, you were at a church that was all like the church in Laodicea, and it was a church that thought they had it all together, and it was a church that looked down on you, and a church that made you feel like you weren't wanted. Jesus is saying, I don't care about that church. If they didn't want you, I want you. I don't care about churches. I don't care about religion in that sense. I care about you, and I want you to be with me. And so I say this to you today. If you are hot or cold or lukewarm, we've all grown apathetic in various ways. If you're young or old, if you're a Christian or not a Christian, I'm talking to you students here today. I'm talking to you, Amelia Abel. I'm talking to young and old, wherever you are today. I ask you today, if you need just a renewal or if it's the first time, let's open up our hearts. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to close this sermon right now and I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to say it as though you're saying it. I'm going to put it in the right grammar. Maybe for the first time in your life or maybe it's the 1,000th time. We could do this every single day of our lives. We're going to ask Christ into our hearts and into our lives today. And if you want to do that today, then join me in this time of prayer. I'll pray. You pray it in your heart. Oh, dearest Jesus. Jesus, I need you. And I really do want you in my life. I see that I am poor and blind spiritually. Spiritually. I can't do it on I can't do it. I can never be good enough. Jesus, thank you that you died for me and you rose and that you want to be with me. And so today, Jesus, I open up my heart, I open up my life, and I welcome you in. And I thank you, Jesus, for the gift of life, for everlasting life, for your love. We pray this, I pray this, in Jesus' name. Amen.